Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. But God knows your hearts, for what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Their position, their pride, their power, all those things that, that set men apart. God says, I hate that stuff because it, it, it causes men to, to, to look at the, the temporal and, and to revel in it and, and love on it and, and to disregard me. today's broadcast, we have a new two-part study from Pastor Sam entitled, Prepared for Eternity. We're looking at Luke chapter 16 in its entirety, and we will tackle some important topics, such as the reality about riches, the desire for being esteemed by others, and the finality of our choice to accept Christ or not once death finds us. So let's listen in. Let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 16. We continue our study through the Gospel of Luke. Luke 16, title of our study, Prepared for Eternity. We read here in Luke 16, 1, He also said to his disciples, There was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? My master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I've resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses." So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, How much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of of light. These first three words here in Luke 16 connect Luke 16 to 15, and it's important that we see it. He also said, it's telling us that the things we studied in Luke 15, and the context there, of course, the religious leaders had complained that he, Jesus, ate with tax collectors and sinners. So he shared three parables, that of the lost uh, sheep, that of the lost coin, and that of the lost sons. The issue there was the heart of God for lost sinners, the importance of repentance, the, the joy that all heaven feels and celebrates uh, when one sinner repents. And so as we get into chapter 16, it's important to know it's the same audience. In chapter 15, he was targeting the religious leaders, but his disciples and those tax collectors and sinners that they couldn't believe they were at the table with, they were all listening in. Now he's going to turn his attention to his disciples, but the religious leaders will see are listening in. The tax collectors and sinners, they're, they're listening in as well. Well, two stories in chapter 16 both begin with these words. God's, uh, excuse me, uh, there was a certain rich man. 
And uh, we're going to see the first definitely a parable, the last probably not a parable. We'll talk about why. And uh, in any case, it's important to know before we even look at this story, we're not all going to be rich. Now, if you're young, you might not believe that. If you're older, you believe it. Uh, the bottom line is it's not really that important. I know society says otherwise, that in our culture, how much stuff you can get, what you can amass, what you can accomplish is everything. But from God's perspective, well, the only thing that will really matter when we pass from this life to the next is what we take with us. And it turns out there's no what to take. There's only a who. God is concerned for people and everything that he talks about in this particular section. And by the way, chapter 16, extraordinary in that there are only two verses in the entire chapter that aren't Jesus talking. There's, you know, it's a powerful chapter if, if for that reason alone. He also said to his disciples, that's the first verse, and verse 14 says, the Pharisees who were lovers of money also heard these things and they derided him and he said to them. So, well, part of a third verse. But, but here's the issue. God is concerned for people. We're in our society concerned with stuff. And so what he's going to do is put this all together using the story of two rich men. Well, first century steward, that would be likened today, the equivalent of a household manager or a financial manager. It's someone who was entrusted with and watched over another's goods. Now, um, this steward, he's accused of being unfaithful and his employer gives him notice, says, get the books in order. You're gone. He realizes that he's in really bad shape. He's too old, apparently, to dig and, uh, and too ashamed to beg. And so he, he comes up with a plan. What he's going to do is bring all of his master's debtors in. And, and it says that he, he brought every one of his master's debtors. We only have a record of the negotiation or the deal that he worked with two of them. But, but here's what's in his mind. I'm going to reduce their debt to my master. And then as I do, well... When I'm cast out of here, they'll receive me into their homes. Now, Jesus is going to build on this whole idea. And, and, well, it's so important for us to see it. Jesus cannot be. He isn't advocating or commending dishonesty. I mean, this guy is a crook. He was accused of wasting his master's resources. Apparently, that's true because he's ultimately and you know making a plan to get out and he he takes advantage of his boss or master on the way out but what Jesus is doing is he's using this guy as an example of someone who planned ahead and it's important that we see it I mean we don't want to think okay well Jesus didn't seem to mind that he was a crook no Jesus minds that but he's saying that the sons of this world, uh, those who are focused on the temporal, they're shrewder. They're, they're planning ahead. They're, they're, they're making something uh, work for themselves more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. Well, the reality is all of us are stewards. And though you may not consider yourself rich in most of the world, especially the undeveloped world where that's most of the people, well, the reality is you would be rich if you were there. Of course, you wouldn't have all you have if you were there. So it's sort of a wash. But the bottom line is, is we are going to give an account. There are some parallels between what happens with these guys and in these stories and, and what's going to happen to us. 
one of the parables or parallels, excuse me, is we will give account. We are stewards of our time, of our energy, of our talents, both natural and spiritual, our, our gifts, natural and spiritual. And so uh, as stewards, we realize we're someday going to stand before the Lord. He's going to judge us on our stewardship. And so while we can't change the past, we can prepare for the future. And, and that's what Jesus is really going to be encouraging as we look at his application to these particular uh, stories. Verse 9, he says, I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon. In the same way this guy made preparation by reducing the debt of others, he's saying you can use your stuff, you can use your assets, your resources to make friends for yourself, that when you fail, and he's really talking about that when you die, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Now, there is potential for misunderstanding here. He's not suggesting that, that uh, we could buy our way into heaven or if we're just generous with our stuff here, that that's going to get us to heaven. No, but what he is saying is if we're generous with our stuff here, when we get to heaven, people we've blessed down here, well, they'll be welcoming us, receiving us, celebrating with us. He calls money, and that's what mammon is, if you didn't know. Sometimes we like not knowing what he's talking about because then we don't have to deal specifically. But the reality is unrighteous mammon is talking about money. And it's interesting to me as a student of Scripture that he calls it unrighteous because I would assume that money is sort of, well, it's neither good nor bad. It's, it's just how you use it that matters. But no, the fact that he calls it unrighteous mammon, it challenges me to think why. And I think the reason is, and it's a, an opinion, I'll always tell you if it's my opinion, I'll tell you if it's what the Lord straight up is saying. I think it's because money like power has such a potential to corrupt. It doesn't mean everyone with money is corrupted anymore that everyone with power is corrupted. But money, it's not just having it. He says the desire for it can be a corrupting problem. And, and then having a lot, well, it's fine as long as we're a good steward of it. So we don't want to read into this that somehow if we give it all away. Well, we know that, that 1 Corinthians 13 says that if we gave it all away and we even sacrificed our body, but we didn't have love. It, it wasn't out of love for God and love for people that it would accomplish nothing. Well, salvation, of course, and you should know this it is God's gift. It's unearned. It's undeserved. That's why saved by grace. That's what grace means, that we don't earn it or deserve it. We can't even hope to repay it. But what he's saying is that we can use our resources now to bless people. So when we all gather up there that, well, the thing that God loves most, the only thing we can take with us to heaven, well, people will all be celebrating once we get there. Well, he who is faithful, he says in verse 10, and, and now this is Jesus again applying these things, connecting the dots. So this guy connects with people uh, uh, by reducing their debt in the hopes that they'll be in his debt. And he says that, you know, that they'll receive him into their houses. He connects the dots by saying, hey, you've got an everlasting home. Use your stuff. So when you get there, those people that you blessed will be there awaiting and rejoicing. And then he says, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. Now, this surprises me again, because I would think he would say he who is faithful will be faithful in much. 
In other words, the test of, of how we use the little will determine how we will use the more. And we know that principle does exist, and he'll allude to something similar to that in the next verse. But what he's really saying here is that, that what we are, we are. If we're faithful in little things, we're faithful in great things. If we're faithful in temporal things, we're faithful in spiritual things. The, the, the test is faithfulness. The test of a steward is that he be found faithful. So he who is faithful in what is least is faithful in much. He who is unjust in what is least is also unjust in much. What he's saying is the way we deal with the small stuff, that's how we deal. That's who we are. The way we look at the temporal things, the things that aren't forever, is an indication of, of really where our heart is toward the things that are eternal. Well, therefore, if you've not been faithful, verse 11, and the unrighteous mammon, he uses that same phrase, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Again, true riches, lasting riches. They're the riches that, that are kingdom riches, that are, are uh, eternal riches. And by the way, there have been many over the years. We're going to see that the religious leaders were among them in that day. There are many today who think if I'm good, if I'm faithful, I'm going to be rich here. But the scripture says all our riches are in Christ Jesus in the heavenlies. Here's why that's good news. This life is really short. And, uh, but eternity, well, there's not even a way for us to conceive of the absence of time that, that, that we just go on forever and ever and ever and ever. But that's what the Bible teaches. And that our blessings are reserved for us in a place where they'll never be stolen or lost. No, they'll be awaiting us. And so eternal blessings, well, those are the ones we want to be focused on. And so he says, if we've not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, in our use of money or the resources that it buys, assets that it purchases, who will commit to your trust, the true riches. He, he contrasts temporal material riches, calling them unrighteous mammon, that which is least, that which is false, that which is another's, with the spiritual eternal riches. And, and he says, they're the much, they're the true riches, they're your own riches, who will give you what is your own. And then in verse 13, and this is the one I think that really gets to the Pharisees, no servant can serve two masters. I have that underlined and highlighted in my Bible because I need to be reminded I can't be serving God and serving stuff. I can't be pursuing God and pursuing stuff. I can't be loving God the way he calls me to with all my heart and soul and mind and strength and loving stuff. And he says so. He says he'll either hate the one and love the other or he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, from the very beginning, well, Exodus anyway, God made this so clear. He said, I don't want you to make any idols. Why? Because if you make them, you'll bow down to them. You'll worship them. You'll serve them. And we were created to bow down, worship and serve God. We were made in his image and for his pleasure. And so he says, no idolatry. By the way, the love of money is, in fact, idolatry. And uh, money, a lifeless God. It's a God with a small g. And, and here's what I've observed. If you pursue money, you will get more of it. Now, all of us have to work. 
All of us have to be faithful. All of us have to pay our bills. But the reality is we don't have to have way more than we need in order to feel secure. In fact, the scriptures could not be clearer on this particular subject that, well, I think it's Solomon and Ecclesiastes who says he who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver. Why is that important? Well, if I tell you, you'll never get enough. If you make money, your God, you'll never get enough to satisfy you. You'd say, well, how would you know? You never got very much. And that maybe is an issue. But Solomon was both the richest and wisest man of his time. He was the wisest who ever lived. And he was one of the richest during his day. And when the rich Richest of the riches and the, the, the wisest says, hey, let me tell you, if you love silver, you'll never be satisfied with silver. No, if you pursue stuff, you'll never get enough stuff to satisfy you. And if you have so much stuff that you're renting extra stuff, uh, you know, containers to, to, to get, gather and keep and store your stuff, well then, then, well, then you're beyond. And it's just the proof. We can't be satisfied with stuff. But, but here's the deal. If I pursue stuff, I become more like the stuff I pursue. If I pursue a lifeless God, I become more like that God. Do we know that for sure? Yeah, Psalm 115 and Psalm 135 both say, the idols of the heathen are silver and gold. They have eyes, but they can't see, ears, but they can't hear, mouths, but they can't speak. And, and, and he goes on to say, those who make them are like them. So not only can't stuff satisfy me, but I become lifeless and, and dead in the pursuit of that which can never satisfy. Here's the good news. It's the other side of the equation. If I pursue God, I will be satisfied. And if I pursue God, I'll find he's more than enough. We sing that, don't we? God, you're more than enough for me. I remember some years back, somebody saying, you know, you Christians, you don't tell lies, but you sing them. And, uh, and, and I wonder... If they're not right, we sing you're more than enough, but then we don't act like he's more than enough. Well, he says we can't serve two masters and whatever we, we, we idolize and love and pursue and worship, well, that becomes our God. And he's saying you've got to choose. That's really what it gets down to. You cannot serve God and mammon. And so, well, the cho choice should be easy. If I pursue stuff, he says, you're never going to be satisfied. Pursue me, you will find satisfaction. Pursue stuff, you'll never be at peace or, 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 or find life because there's no life in it. Now, if we have stuff, again, it goes back to stewardship. And if you've been faithful and you've worked hard and you've saved, you have some stuff. And so what's God asking? that we be good stewards of it. Why? We're going to give an account. We're going to stand before him and you're going to say, what'd you do with all that? What were you thinking? What were you doing? Well, the Pharisees who were lovers of money, lovers of mammon, lovers of stuff, they also heard these things and they derided him. Remember, his target audience here in this particular section isn't the Pharisees. He's talking to his disciples. He's saying, here's... What I want you to know, that, that life's short. You can't take it with you. you. You can't send some up ahead. You do that by blessing people down here. And, and, and so the, the Pharisees, hey, these guys love money. They also love position. They love a lot of things. What they don't love is God and people. And the tragedy of that is they're the religious leaders. They're the example to the community. Well, 
We can cut them a little bit of slack, just a little bit, because the Mosaic Covenant promised blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. And, and so we could say, okay, maybe they got confused about this. By the way, these were corporate, not just personal blessings. And what that means is if the nation was faithful, the nation would be blessed. That they'd be the head and not the tail, that they'd lend and never borrow. But if they went into idolatry and immorality and all the things that we know they did, because we've studied the history, well, he says you'll be cursed. That you'll be the tail and not the head. That you'll borrow and not lend. And, and that they'd suffer and struggle and do without. And, and, and so the, the reality is these guys were applying the, the blessings and the curses that God was speaking to, to the whole community of believers, of, of Israel at that point in history, and they were applying them personally and individually. Well, let's see if that really works. You might have been the most faithful person in Israel during the time of the Babylonian captivity, but you know what happened to faithful people during the time of the captivity? They were taken captive. Daniel was faithful. He was taken captive. His friends were faithful. We see it even in Babylon, but they were taken captive. So, so though you were personally doing the right thing, you lived in a society that was headed the wrong way and God judged the whole society. That kind of troubles me because of the society we're living in. I'd like to think, oh, all the, you know, difficulties, well, I'll just escape them because I'm doing the right thing. But I've noticed that when our community does the wrong thing, we all suffer for it. And that's just how it's going to be. Well, ultimately, we can cut them slack a little bit because they were misapplying some of these promises, but we cannot excuse even a little their misplaced priorities. They had more than blessings and curses promised to them. They had the law and the prophets. Both pointed them to their need for a savior and the savior who's at their very table teaching these very things. But more than that, they were instructed from the beginning to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. They were exhorted to love your neighbor as yourself. It's not New Testament teaching. It is entire Bible teaching. It's old and new is what I'm trying to say in that. So, so it wasn't like they hadn't heard this part. They just disregarded it and focused on the other part. God calls that subtracting from Scripture. We have to take all God says and we got to deal with all that God says. There is another issue. As you look at the religious leaders of, of Jesus' day and you look back to the religious leaders that, well, they built on and, and they were supposedly learning from, it's interesting to note that the prophets, by and large, were poor, persecuted, struggling. I mean, Elijah, you couldn't find a more faithful man. And during the time of famine, that was the direct result of the community of believers unbelief and disobedience and disrespect and disregard for the commandments of God during that time of struggle. Well, Elijah had to be fed by ravens and then he had to be fed by a poor widow. And, and so God took care of him. But the point is that the, the whole nation was being judged. And, and in the midst of it, the faithful people were cared for. But, but it's not like anybody was thriving. Everyone was struggling. Well, the scriptures are very clear on this point. If riches increase, don't set your heart upon them. Why? Because riches are temporal and people are eternal. Riches are temporal and God is eternal. He wants us to have an eternal perspective. In fact, as you go through the gospel of Luke, if you were to make a note 
Every time he started to talk about physical, temporal riches, contrasting it with spiritual, eternal riches, you'd be shocked. It comes up again and again and again. It's not the exact same lesson, but it's the bottom line that, that he wants us to deal with these issues. Well, he says to them, you are those, verse 15, who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Their position, their pride, their power, all those things that, that set men apart. God says, I hate that stuff because it, it, it causes men to, to, to look at the, the temporal and, and to revel in it and, and love on it and, and to disregard me, their maker. In light of what Pastor Sam taught us in today's message, I would like to take a moment to consider a couple of verses, starting with Psalm 37.4, where it says, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. It's not the things that you desire that he's giving you, but the desires themselves. Then think of Matthew 6.33, where we're told, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the things shall be added to you. You see, when our hearts are right towards the Lord, it will have a remarkable impact on your lives. The things that you will have to be thankful for and the blessings of a thankful heart will be so much greater than the virtues that any material or earthly possession could ever give. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.